The following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. All right, well, you can turn your Bibles to Romans 4. Our text for today is Romans 4, uh, verses 17 to 25. And, um, and so we'll be finishing out the chapter today, Lord willing. And uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 17 says, As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which has been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who, Jesus, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over because of our transgressions, and he was raised because of our justification. Of course, this passage reflects on the story of Abraham and Abraham's story has always been one of my favorite stories in Scripture. So when we first meet Abraham in Genesis chapter 11, uh, he is living in uh, the city of Ur, which is in modern-day Iraq, somewhere near uh, ancient, the ancient city of Babylon. And, um, and, and this really was the place to be. In, in the ancient world, Ur was the place that was most wealthy, most powerful, it was a secure place to be. It was a comfortable place to be. And as well, Joshua 24, verse 2 tells us that before God spoke to Abraham, he was a pagan who served other gods. So Abraham did not know God. He did not worship God. He worshiped multiple gods. So, so here's this pagan man living a secure, probably relatively wealthy life, He's worshiping other gods, and out of the blue, God speaks to him. And God tells Abraham, I want you to leave everything you have ever known. And I want you to move what, is, what to Abraham seemed like across the world. And when you get there, I'm going to make of you a great nation. Now just imagine Abraham going home to Sarah one day. And uh, Sarah says, how was your day? And he says, well, actually, it was a very exciting day. This God we, we've never worshipped before, he spoke to me. And he told me that we're supposed to move across the world and he's going to make a great nation of us. You know, ladies, how would you respond if your husband came home one day and he said something like that? I'm sure you'd just be like, sure, let's go. Yeah, right. And yet Abraham, he believes God. He leaves everything he has ever known. And he moves first to Haran and ultimately to the land of Canaan. 
And while God prospered Abraham, you know, it, it, it didn't appear at first that God was doing anything, you know? I mean, imagine Abraham, he shows up in Canaan, and, and, and in the country, I, I grew up in the country, and in the country, there's a lot of nosy people, right? And so Abraham, he's getting settled, he's off on the hillside, and some guy that's lived there for a long time, he's like, I, I got to go meet this guy over here. And so, so you know, this, this neighbor, he shows up, he comes over and introduces himself to Abraham, and, and, and he says, well, tell me your story. You know, where'd you come from? Who are you? And, and Abraham says, well, well, I just recently moved here from the land of Ur, and, and I moved here because this God, he told me that he's going to make a great nation out of me. And so this guy says, wow, that's quite a promise. So how much land do you own? And Abraham says, well, actually, I don't, I don't own any land at all. The guy says, okay, well, how many kids do you have? And he says, well, actually, my wife is barren, so I don't have any kids at all. And the neighbor looks at him and says, wow, it's kind of hard to become a nation without any land or any kids. And Abraham says, I know, but God is going to keep his promise. Well, years pass. And this neighbor, he's kind of been, you know, you know, he's got his, you know, you know how neighbors are. You know, he's got his binoculars and he's kind of keeping his eye on Abraham. And, and uh, you know, and so he comes over again. And, uh, and he comes to see Abraham and he says, you know, Abraham, it's been about 20 years since I visited you. And so I'm just, I want to check in, see how that promise is going. You know, how, how much land do you own now, Abraham? Well, well, I'm still living in a tent. Okay. Well, I bet you've got a dozen kids. Actually, we, we still don't have any at all. And the neighbor says, Abraham, you're getting kind of old and wrinkly. And your wife is too. I don't, I don't think this is going to happen. Are you sure God is going to keep his promise? You know, folks, it's one thing to talk the talk of faith. A lot of people in our society will talk about faith. But Abraham lived it. And our text for today reflects on his amazing testimony. And Paul's primary purpose in this passage is to provide a model of the saving faith that he has been talking about ever since chapter 1. So, so if you're not saved, and, and maybe you've sat here uh, for the last couple of months and wondered, what exactly is this faith that saves? Well, this passage tells you that the nuts and bolts of genuine faith. But of course, the entire Christian life, it's not just faith that saves us, the entire Christian life is a life of faith. And, and so this passage is also uh, just a very encouraging and very challenging model for every Christian of how we should seek to walk by faith day by day. And my outline today is built on four characteristics of saving faith. So, so the first characteristic of saving faith is that saving faith anchors itself to God's character. Saving faith anchors itself to God's character. Now, if you were to go over to Walmart and, and visit the Hallmark aisle, you would see a lot of cards that talk about faith. You know, so, so you might see a graduation card that says something like, you can do anything if you just believe in yourself. Don't stop believing. Or maybe you might buy a card that says, I believe in you. You know, it all sounds good, but the reality is most of it is just blind optimism. Because it doesn't matter how much you believe in yourself. 
Most people are too short to play in the NBA. Most people are not attractive enough to become Hollywood stars. And most people are not intelligent enough to become an astronaut. It doesn't matter what you believe. But, but biblical faith is not blind optimism. Now instead, notice what it says in verse 17. It says, in the presence of him whom he believed. So, so Abraham believed in God. And it says there, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. So, so Abraham's faith was, was not blind optimism. It wasn't a, a, a leap into the dark. No, instead, it was fixed on the objective truth of Almighty God. And specifically, he believed in the God who gives life to the dead. Now, now what does he mean by that? Well, well, verse 19 tells us specifically what that means. So, so verse 19 says that without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So, so what that's telling us is that the deadness that, that, that Abraham specifically is contemplating is his own deadness. He's 100 years old. So, so it says here in the text that he was as good as dead. Now, now young people, that, that's probably not a good way to endear yourself to your grandparents, right? Like, you come up to grandpa and you know, kind of touch his wrinkles and say, wow, grandpa, you're as good as dead, right? You, you, probably, you probably don't want to use that one. But, but that's what God says. And, and, and of course, the, the primary point here is that Abraham, from a fertility standpoint, was as good as dead. And folks, no one expects a 100-year-old man to father a child. And not only was, was Abraham 100 years old, and not only was Sarah, at this time, uh, thinking back to Genesis chapter 17, uh, 89, 90 years of age, but she had never been able to conceive a child. So, so the point here is, in verse 19, is that her womb was practically dead. But, but Abraham believed that God is able to give life to the dead. He understood that, that he's almighty God. And God is not limited by human capacities or, or human weaknesses. No, he has all power. And, and not only that, verse 17 says that, that Abraham focused on the fact that God can call into being that which does not exist. Of course, God created the world in six days. He, he spoke it into existence. You know, God, you know, God can, can do anything. And of course, you know, at this time, Abraham, he, he didn't have any tangible evidence that God was going to keep his promise. He didn't have any land. He didn't have any kids. But, but he believed that if God could create the universe, that God could call a nation into existence. And so Abraham sets a very important example because he, he didn't let himself get overwhelmed by what he could see or, or with all the roadblocks that were in front of him. No, he anchored his mind to the power and faithfulness of God. He, he focused his mind on God, not on his circumstances. And, and of course, that's what genuine Christian faith always does. You know, you know, and, and for us today, we, we especially must focus 
on the truth of the gospel. So, so notice the application of all of this that, that Paul's going to make in verses 24 and 25. Now, just like Abraham believed God could give life to his dead body, verses 24 says that we believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. There's that key word, dead. He was delivered over because of our transgression. He was raised because of our justification. So, so believing on Christ, folks, is not a blind leap of faith. It's not, a, uh, it's not blind optimism. No, when we trust in Christ, it, it's, not, you know, it's not merely a burning in the bosom. You know, that, that we just feel like this book is true and we just feel like we want something and, and like God is out there somewhere. No. Jesus died on the cross. And, and God raised him from the dead. And so what Paul is saying here is that the cross and the resurrection is objective proof that God is mighty to save. So, so saving faith, folks, is not about me mustering up some feeling in my heart. You know, it's not about me, you know, working myself into a frenzy and, 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 and having this God experience, so to speak. It's not about me. No, no, instead, saving faith focuses on the power and the faithfulness of God and the proof of that power in the resurrection of Christ. So, so the anchor of saving faith is the character and works of God. So, so if you struggle to believe the gospel, it might be that, that you're a young person, you've grown up in the church your whole life. You've heard the gospel for years. And you've wondered, do I believe this? And I remember as a kid, you know, and I would get asked that sort of question, I would look here. I would look at what I felt to determine whether or not I believe this. And that's not where you look. I mean, saving faith is not faith in my faith. Saving faith is faith in Christ. So focus on God. You know, focus on the love that He demonstrated in the cross, the power He displayed in the resurrection, and, and rest in Him. Don't look to yourself. And of course, once you're saved, you need to keep living with that same focus. You, know, you don't grow radical faith by focusing on developing radical faith. You grow radical faith by focusing on God. So study the Word with a focus to see who God is and to see what He has done. You know, dwell on His power, wonder at His graces, meditate on His mighty works, you know, from, from creation to the miracles of Scripture, to answered prayer, the things that you've seen Him do in your life. You know, rejoice in the Gospel. Meditate on the Gospel every single day. And be amazed consistently that God loved a sinner like you and that Jesus died in your place. You know, stand and wonder at all these truths and, and anchor your mind in the promises of Scripture. You know, memorize them, pray them, meditate them. You know, folks, growing faith is not complicated because, because what Abraham did in verse 17 is not complicated. He focused on God instead of his circumstances. And by God's grace, you can do the same thing. So you can grow a strong faith 
that transforms the direction of your life. So saving faith focuses on God. And then the second characteristic of saving faith is that saving faith confronts roadblocks or confronts and looks past roadblocks. Saving faith confronts and looks past roadblocks. So so look at verses 18 and 19. It says, in hope against hope, he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which has been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. So, so verse 18 by, begins by acknowledging that Abraham's situation really was hopeless from a human perspective. And that's because his own body was as good as dead, and Sarah's womb was practically dead. So, so imagine again, you know, Abraham's pagan neighbor. He comes home from his second visit with Abraham, and he walks in the door, and he says to his wife, that Abraham guy is nuts. You know, he moved across the world, and he's been living in that tent for 25 years. You, know, you might think it's fun to live in a tent for a week, but imagine living in a tent for 25 years. That is a long time. And, and, and he's old. He's old, and he doesn't have any kids. And that pagan neighbor, he says to his wife, that Abraham, that loony over there, He has wasted his life. And I love the fact that verse 19 says that Abraham contemplated those realities. And that's because, and I love that because so much of the time when people in our society talk about faith, it really is just some irrational feeling. So so, so I've met people, Christian people, who, who just keep swiping the credit card even though there's no money in the bank. And they tell themselves, well, I just believe. I just know that God is going to take care of me and that that's what God wants me to do. You know, pastors and churches can, can do the same thing you know, where, where, where there are realities around them, whether it's about the budget or uh, de- de- declining attendance or whatever it might be. And, and they, just, you know, they just put the blinders on and, and they want to live in this dream world and not deal with the realities around them. Because I believe God. And so much of the time, what passes as faith in our culture is not real faith, because it's not based in reality. It's delusional foolishness. And in contrast, what we see here is that Abraham was realistic about his situation. And in fact, keep your finger here and turn back to Genesis chapter 17. But I think it's helpful just to, to, to put ourselves in Abraham's shoes and, and really understand what's going through his mind. So, so Genesis 17, this is the third time God speaks to Abraham. And this is the occasion when he institutes circumcision. It's also about a year before uh, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. And I want to read Genesis 17, verses 15 through 17. It says, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. 
Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? You you read that passage, and, and you see that Abraham was realistic about his situation. I mean, he hears God. I mean, he hears the voice of God and he laughs at what God is saying because he's saying, God, there's no way that can be true. And of course, we also face a lot of difficult challenges to our faith. I love how John Calvin, what John Calvin has to say about our text. He says, let us remember that the condition of us all is the same with that of Abraham. All things around us are in opposition to the promises of God. He promises immortality. We are surrounded with mortality and corruption. He he declares that he counts us just. We are covered with sins. He testifies that he is propitious and kind to us. Outward judgments threaten his wrath. What then is to be done? We must with closed eyes pass by ourselves and all things connected with us that nothing may hinder or prevent us from believing that God is true. So, so Abraham, I mean, that's exactly what he does. He, he, he faces reality. He understands just how dim his circumstances seem from a human perspective. But, and yet verse 18 says what? It says that, that uh, back in Romans chapter 4, that against hope, he believed in hope. In hope against hope, he believed. And so, and verse 19 says that, that even as he, he contemplated his own body and the weakness of his own body, what's it say? He did not become weak in faith. Now, of course, when it says he did not become weak in faith, that, that's not denying the fact that he also laughed at God's promises. So, so it's not as if Abraham was untouched by, by the challenges around him, that he was just this, you know, faith machine that, that didn't have any weakness at all. He was a man of flesh like the rest of us. And yet he pressed through and his faith remained strong. In fact, verse 18 says that by faith, he had the vision to see that God would give him many descendants. I mean, isn't that incredible? You know, that Abraham looks past the wrinkles on his face and the wrinkles on Sarah's face. And he had the vision to see that God was going to do something miraculous. He believed God. And it's an amazing testimony of faith in the Lord. And that brings us to the third characteristic of saving faith, which is that saving faith stands on God's promises and receives his reward. Saving faith stands on God's promises and receives his reward. And I'd like to emphasize Four actions in verses 20 through 22. So first, notice what it says in verse 20. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. So Abraham grew strong in faith. That's the first action. As I already said, now now when it says there that he did not waver, it does not mean that that Abraham never struggled with doubt. 
That's really important to keep in mind as we walk our way through this passage. I mean, he laughed. He laughed when God said you're gonna have, that Sarah's going to have a child in a year. And, and then Genesis 18, the next chapter says that when Sarah hears the angel say the same thing, she laughed too. So, so they were not without struggle. And I think as well, it's, it's fascinating that, that, that of all the stories that, that God could include about Abraham in the Bible, he includes a story in Genesis chapter 12. There's, there's famine in Canaan, and so Abraham and Sarah, they go down to the land of Egypt to, to get food, and, and Abraham is, is afraid because Sarah apparently was a beautiful woman, and so he's afraid that some Egyptian is going to kill him so that he can take Sarah as his own wife. Now, if God had given that promise to Abraham, was there any chance of that actually happening? No. If Abraham's dead, then God can't keep his promise. But, but Abraham is afraid that someone's going to kill him and take his wife, and so he tells his wife to lie and say that she is his sister instead of his wife. And as a result of, of his foolish plan, he, he almost loses his wife, and he almost presses Sarah into committing adultery. It was not Abraham's most stunning glorious moment. And yet God includes that story in the Bible to remind us that even as Abraham had tremendous faith, he also really struggled at times. And so I want to be clear today that genuine faith is not the absence of doubt. Now, unfortunately, again, as a child, I often struggled with that very thought. So I you know, struggle, I've talked about this before, I struggle with assurance of my salvation, and, and I remember like thinking, all right, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask Jesus in my heart, and I'm going to get it right this time. And this time, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to have 100% perfect faith. So I've got to work myself up, I've got to have zero doubt in my heart, absolute perfect faith, and if I can do that, God will save me. And, and if you're in a similar spot, recognize that, that God doesn't demand that. that. God knows our weakness. Psalm 103 says that he knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. And he is compassionate towards our weakness. Now, God doesn't demand perfect faith. He doesn't demand that you never have a doubt about him or his purposes. Or that you always have these perfect feelings about God. Now, what did Jesus say? He only demands faith the size of a mustard seed. And as well, I think it's important to emphasize that faith is not defined by how you feel. It's defined by your actions. Now, Abraham's faith, including, you know, I mean, think about, think about Abraham's life. Like he, from, from, from his perspective, moved across the world. And he lived in a tent for, for 25 years before God fulfilled a single promise. And, and, and folks, when you look at that, that matters a whole lot more than, than a few moments where he lapsed and made bad decisions. So, so I want to urge you if, you, if 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 you struggle with discouragement about your faith, don't listen to Satan's accusations. Because he wants you to despair over every weakness and every struggle. He wants you to believe that you are an utter failure. But, but I would about guarantee... For, for those of you who are saved, 
that your faith is probably more impactful in your life than Satan wants you to realize. Like, like faith, I mean, I look at my own self, and, and by God's grace, I mean, my faith has radically altered the course of my life. I mean, if I compare my life with, with the people I went to public high school with, my life, my faith has taken my life in a very different direction than most of the kids I went to high school with. And I imagine that's probably true for most of you in this room. Sure, your faith isn't perfect, but you're at church on Sunday morning instead of fishing. You put money in the offering plate that you could have spent on yourself. You read your Bible. You try to live a holy life even when it doesn't feel right or it's not what you want to do. And those things and many other things are all a testimony of the sincerity of your faith and of God's work in your life. So don't listen to Satan's accusations. Don't let him tell you that you don't have any faith. No, keep walking by faith. Because your walk matters a whole lot more than what you feel or what Satan wants you to believe. And that's what Abraham did. And as a result, verse 20 says, he grew strong in faith. Now, now once again, it's not saying there that he waited on his feelings. No, he focused on God and he acted by faith. I mean, he moved his family and he stayed in that tent. And he acted on his faith no matter how how afraid he was, no matter what doubts he entered his mind. I mean, do you think that Abraham woke up every morning from sleeping on the ground in a tent and thought, man, this is great. This is awesome. You know, I like to say there's no such thing as a happy camper. You're tired. You're dirty. You know, you know so, so, so Abraham, I mean, I'm sure he had some rough days. I'm sure there were discouraging days. He looks at his wife. Man, she's got five more gray hairs today. You know, I hope you guys don't do that to your wives. You know, you know and, and I'm sure there were days I was like, man, is this ever going to happen? Is God ever going to keep his promise? Did, did, did I really mess up? I, I'm sure he had those kinds of days. But, but he acted on faith. He trusted God. And, and because of that, his faith grew strong. You know, and every day you walk by faith, God grows your faith. I mean, I, I've seen God do that in my life. You know, I, I mean, I, by, by God's grace, my faith today is much stronger than it was when I came here seven years ago. Because, you know, pastoring is hard, and, and there are challenges, and, and there are difficult moments, and so there's been many times I've felt nervous and anxious about this thing and that thing, but by the grace of God, I just kept walking by faith. I prayed, and I did what I believed was right. And God answers prayer, God works, and God grows our faith. And that's how you grow your faith. That's how God always grows your faith. You know, don't wait till you just feel this like, you know, sense of glory and wonder before you act on faith. It doesn't matter if you're afraid. You know, don't wait till you feel perfect peace before you step out on faith, because you never will. You obey God, you act on his word, and you will watch God grow your faith. So Abraham grew strong in faith. And then the second action that we see in verses 20 through 22 is that Abraham gave glory to God. 
I love the little note at the end of verse 20. It says he grew strong in faith, and then it says, giving glory to God. And that's just a wonderful God-centered note. Because again, so often we think that faith is all about me and how strong I am. Look at my faith. But, But faith, folks, is all about God. Faith itself is a gift of God. And notice, in particular, the chronology of this text. Because I remember when I, when I was studying this passage this week, my, my initial thought was, well, well, verse 20 is probably talking about him giving glory to God after Isaac is born. But, but verse 21 continues to focus on his life before Sarah ever conceived. So, so what verse 20 is saying is that he gave glory to God before God ever fulfilled a single promise. I mean, so, so, so Abraham's life, Abraham's life is what gives glory to God. So, so every day he stayed in that tent was a declaration that God was going to keep his promise. You know, when he circumcised himself, when he circumcised his household, every time he offered a sacrifice to God, he was declaring that God was strong and faithful and that he was better than, than anything he left behind. Now again, keep your finger here and turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. We, we, we have to read this passage in talking about Abraham because it so beautifully describes Abraham's faith. Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to read verses 8 through 11. Just a rich perspective on Abraham. And it, and it extends historically beyond the bounds of our text, but... But I love what it has to say. Hebrews 11, verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I'm sure that made Sarah feel good. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. That's a great verse. I mean, why would Abraham leave Ur behind? Because he had faith to see an eternal city that was better than anything he was leaving here. And then verse 11 says, By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Folks, that's a life that glorifies God right there. That is a life glorifying to God. And and, and by the way, I I think it's worth emphasizing that it impacts those around you. You know, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your close friends, the, the people of this church, they know if you have faith. Not because they put a magnifying glass on how you feel. They they know if you have faith by the way that you live. And they see what you prioritize in your schedule, what you prioritize in your money. They see what gets you excited, and they see what puts you to sleep. And I hope that you are glorifying God to those around you by living a life of faith, that your life is a declaration to everyone, that I am looking for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. And that is what's precious to me. And I believe God that he's going to give it to me. I believe him so much that it radically changes everything about how I live. And then the third action 
It is found in verse 21. Verse 21 says, And being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. So, so Abraham was fully assured of God's promise. Now, now, yes, Abraham had struggles. But at the end of the day, he believed that God would keep his promise. He was sure of it. And the way that we know that he was sure is that he acted on his convictions. It's an incredible testimony. And then the fourth action is that Abraham was credited as righteous. Verse 22 says, Therefore it, speaking of his faith, was also credited to him as righteousness. So he was justified before God. And Abraham is in heaven today because of his faith in God. And by the way, I mean, that blessing of, of, of imputation is better than, than, than even the gift of Isaac. Now, just imagine how, I mean, imagine how incredible it must have been for Isaac or for James, or Abraham. I've got James and Isaac. But, but imagine Abraham is holding Isaac, 100-year-old man. He's holding his baby. He looks down and he says, wow, God did it. God did it. I mean, what an incredible moment for him. And yet the fact that he is in heaven with God was better than the gift of any child or any nation. And God himself is always the greatest blessing of faith. And that's important to remember because the prosperity guys are going to want to tell you that the blessing of faith is that you get rich and wealthy and wealthy today. But God is always the greatest blessing of his faith. So Abraham sets a wonderful example of saving faith. God made a promise, and Abraham believed it. And God emphasizes in Genesis that Abraham had doubts and moments of weakness. But his life demonstrated that he really believed God, and he proved it by how he lived. And as he lived that life of faith, God continued to strengthen his faith every day. So Abraham sets a marvelous example of us of what genuine faith is. So, so Christian, grow in faith and walk by faith. Live in the presence of God every day. Obey His Word even when you don't feel like it. Read your Bible even when it feels like God's not there at all. Keep walking by faith day after day after day. Invest your time, your heart, your money, in things of eternal significance. And as you make those choices of faith, watch God grow your faith. You won't regret it. And then verses 23 through 25 apply all of this uh, to saving faith. And really, ultimately, verses 23 through 25 bring together Paul's entire argument from Romans 1, verse 18, all the way to chapter 4, verse 25. So, so the fourth characteristic is that saving faith trusts the work of Christ. And verse 23 makes... Really, one of the most important assertions in the entire chapter. And so notice, I wonder, we'll read verses 22 and 23 together for context. Verse 22 says, Therefore, it, his faith, was also credited to him as righteousness. And then verse 23 says, Now not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited. So, so what Paul says here, you know, way back in verse 3, he quoted Genesis 15, verse 6, and said that Abraham was justified by faith. And now at the end of the chapter, he says 
that that was not just some random comment in the Bible. No, the Holy Spirit made sure that Moses put that verse in the Bible because God wanted to make a point way back then, 4,000 years before our time, that Abraham was justified by faith because God wanted people of all ages to know that salvation is not by works, justification is by faith. And so no one will be in heaven based on their family heritage, based on their religious affiliation, their good works, their feeling that God is in their life. No, our only hope of salvation is to have the righteousness of God imputed to us. And the only way that happens is faith in Christ. And verse 23 declares that the Bible is unified in that message. You can only be saved by faith. You must be saved by faith. But while salvation has always been by faith, verses 24 and 25 also note that the content of our faith is different from Abraham's content. So verses 24 and 25 go on to say that, that we believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Now, now we uh, as dispensationalists, and really uh, all Bible believers would say this to some extent, we, we believe that the God's revelation has unfolded over time. So, so Abraham did not understand the gospel the same way we do. He didn't know the story about Jesus. He didn't know the name Jesus. He didn't know about Mount Calvary, he didn't know about a cross. He didn't know, even know about a resurrection from the dead. So, so what we believe is that in every age, man has been responsible to believe the revelation that God has revealed to him. So Abraham was responsible to believe what God revealed to him. He was responsible to believe the Abrahamic covenant. He had to believe that God was going to give him a son. And that son would become a nation and that someday through that nation, God would bring blessing to all the nations of the earth. Abraham believed what God revealed, and he was justified. But of course, we live after the cross. And so today, no one can be saved by just simply believing that God is real. Or, or simply believing that, you know, that, that, that there's a higher power, or just being spiritual. You know, having faith for faith's sake is not enough. You know, go around town, there are a lot of people, you ask them if you believed on Christ, and they're going to say, yeah, I have faith. But it's not faith in Christ, it's just faith. You know, I mean, even today, believing the Abrahamic covenant will not get you into heaven. And that's why the apostles were so zealous about taking the gospel to the Jews, is because once Christ came, they were responsible for the truth of Christ, not just the Abrahamic covenant. And so in this age, the only way anyone can be saved is to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul's going to argue then in Romans chapter 10 that we must take that gospel to all people. And verses 24 and 25 beautifully articulate the content of this gospel. So we must believe, first of all, that Jesus was delivered over for our, verse 25, he was delivered over for our transgressions. So, so, so that verse is telling us that, that the death of Christ was not an unfortunate accident. No, 
We are sinners. We have transgressed. We have broken God's law. And therefore, we deserve judgment. Romans 1 said we deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus came, and he endured our judgment on the cross. He was our substitute. But but Jesus is no ordinary man. He is God, and God raised him from the dead. And the resurrection fully and finally defeated sin. And so if I am in Christ, I am free from the penalty of sin. I will never face condemnation. And furthermore, Paul's going to go on to say in the next chapters that, that he also freed us from the power of sin. I can live a life in victory over sin through the grace of Christ, the resurrection power of Jesus. Sin has no dominion over me. And verse 24 makes the incredible promise that if I believe these basic gospel truths about who I am, who God is, what Christ did for me on the cross, I can be saved. And I will be credited with the same exact righteousness of God that Abraham was credited with 4,000 years ago. And notice as well that, that, that this faith is not just wishful thinking or blind optimism. Now, God raised Christ from the dead. And so my faith is anchored in the objective proof of the resurrection. And so just as God gave life to the dead womb of Sarah, God gave life to Jesus' dead body. He is alive. And, and folks, again, that is a whole lot better than, than just a burning in the bosom. You know, a, a feeling that, that, that comes over me that God is near. Now, our faith is anchored in historical events that really happened. And, and in events of eternal significance. You know, so, so I want to be clear, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that, that, that want to tell you that, that Christianity is just, you know, believing a fable. It's believing a myth. You know, and, and scientists and sociologists want to say that they have discredited the scriptures as an accurate record of history, and, and that's just nonsense. I mean, there are plenty of reasons, plenty of good reasons to believe that the, the story of the gospel that, that is given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is true. It is history. It happened. Folks, Jesus rose from the dead. And, and so because of that, it is a story. It is a strong anchor for our faith. We're not just shooting a dart, you know, shooting a dart in the dark and hoping it lands somewhere. We believe the truth. So have you believed on Christ for salvation? Are you resting solely in the finished work of Christ to save you from hell? If not, I would encourage you to believe like Abraham right now. Just tell the Lord that you have broken his law, that Jesus is Lord, and you believe that Christ died for your sins and was raised for your salvation. And you don't have to wait until there's, there's just not an ounce of doubt in your heart. You, you, you step out in faith. You believe God. You make choices in accordance with, with that choice. Believe God the same way Abraham did. The same way so many people sitting around you have already done. And you can be saved. If you've never made that choice, 
And I'd urge you to believe on Christ today and be saved. And Christian, keep walking by faith. You know, the challenges to our faith are, are, are many. And sometimes our fears overwhelm us. But just keep your eyes on God. And, and every day, choose to walk by faith. Choose to live not for the things that you can see, not based on the fears and emotions and pressures in front of you, but choose to walk by faith. And as you do that, by God's grace, He will strengthen your faith He will transform your life. He will satisfy your soul. And someday He will bring you to glory. Let's have everyone bow your head and close your eyes. Before I pray, I just want to ask if there's anyone here that would say, I have never exercised saving faith. I'd like like you to pray for me or I'd like to ask Christ to save me. Or if you just... God's working in your heart regarding salvation. Just slip up your hand so I can see you, pray for you, and uh, seek you out. Is there anyone like that at all? Anyone who needs to be saved? Okay, Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful testimony and wonderful story. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our faith. Lord, we are weak. And Lord, we believe but we need you to help our unbelief. And so, God, I pray that you would, by your Spirit, help us every day to keep our eyes fixed on you, help us to walk by faith, not by sight. And, Father, thank you for the assurance we have in your word that you will be faithful to us, and you will keep us, and you will bring us to glory. In Jesus' name, amen.